Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're going to be looking at missions today and uh, we're going to be having a look at some of the stuff that we're doing around the globe. You know, as you know, one of our core, not necessarily values, but one of our core expressions in the world is what we do around the globe. And uh, you, you know, if you've been here for a while, you would have heard it many times that we just don't exist for ourselves, but we exist to be a lighthouse to this nation and the nations of the earth. If you believe it, say amen. So uh, we are doing that today. And this morning, I want to talk to you about sacrificial living, not sacrificial giving, but sacrificial living, living a life of sacrifice. One of the great sacrificial stories in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to 14. It talks about Abraham, uh, God challenging him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And, uh, you know, we do this once a year. We set our pledges for the next 12 months. We allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about what we're going to do collectively as a body. And, uh, but I want us to have a look at this video first, just to show you uh, one of the projects that we've sown into over the last 12 months. So let's have a look at that and then we'll preach. them standing by the pole or oh, had ever chatting or oh, eating something. A lot of them used to get up to the food, bags. Kids on the street were stabbed. Anything, like they can beat you. They were picked up by police and sent to prison for no reason. People rape kids in the streets. The street is not a safe place for children. It started when I saw hundreds of children living on the streets of Maseru and I said, I can't pretend I didn't see this. I spent two years building relationships with kids there until I understood the problem. And I realised I had to help these children return to their families because they all had them. And I had to help these children finish primary school. There are people who are in Lesotho not just to help kids but to make money. But having a relationship with Mabelinda, I saw someone who was dedicated to help kids. She would go into their families. And when I talked to teachers and I talked to family and I talked to neighbours, I understood. This is a complex problem and it's relational. We need to fix these relationships. We're an organisation that gets kids off the streets and back into families. And we also have a school. That helped them to heal emotionally and mentally and to heal from the trauma that they experienced. When someone believes they have no purpose, they live as if they have no purpose. Our children don't identify as street kids. We never use the word because that is not who they are. 
they are young men created for a purpose. I just make sure that I'm their champion and I, I'm, I believe in them. Our team is incredible. You can see that God has called each one of them for their role. Working in CPR and meeting Dr. Josh and maybe Linda, it's been a, a really awesome experience because they've helped us to bring our own answers to the problems that we have. Problems that we see are not solved through a program. They are solved through extreme love. Have you noticed that there are not children on the streets anymore? Yes, I have. Five years ago, the streets were full of, of children. They would get into fights. They would stab each other on this very street. But they are now within the families. Now, these streets are empty. just have to make sure we're engaged and we'll always win. Isn't that powerful? Absolutely amazing, you know. Josh and Belinda, obviously, over five years ago, went in there, uh, left the comfort of their own home. They had very well-paying jobs. She, they were quite high up in the corporate sector. And they felt the Lord speak to them when they went over there that something had to be done. And so they obviously went over there, began to understand the problem. Uh, I love what she said. She goes, these are complex problems. Uh, sometimes we can just gloss over these things. Well, it's simple as doing this, but it's not, you know. Some of these things require just complex thinking in order to solve the problem. But what I love is they went over there and they began to make a massive difference. And uh, we supported them last year. We were able to give them... I think over $10,000 to actually continue that work. Uh, we've pledged some more money that we're going to give to them this financial year. The thing is this, it wasn't just them giving one missions trip of their life. It was a life of sacrificial giving and sacrificial living. And if you think about it, what God is doing over there and what God is doing, say, with our church that we're able to give throughout the year, a sacrifice is the thing that brings it all together. Church, without sacrifice, that would never happen. Without sacrifice, like churches of ours, that would never happen. And so when you understand that sacrifice is the glue that brings it all together, there is something powerful about looking at sacrifice this morning. Not sacrificial giving, just for one offering, but this idea of living a life of sacrifice. It's one of the core values of our Christian faith. We live in the blessing of God today because of the sacrifice that Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. We understand it's the core value of what we actually go for. You know, it's this idea of sacrifice that without sacrifice, we would not see those things happen today. You know, the dictionary describes sacrifice as this. It's the surrender of something prized or desirable the surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered to have a high purpose or a high call. Right, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 8. He says, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, and yet I consider them as garbage that I may gain Christ. The reality is the Apostle Paul had a high status in society. He actually was quite a wealthy man. He lived in the top echelon of what society offered. And yet he recognized it was nothing compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the purpose that God had actually put in his life. A life of sacrifice. Sacrifice is a foundational idea to our faith. You know, often in the Bible, we can often look at moments of of sacrifice or acts of sacrificial giving. And we can often analyze that. But this morning, I want to speak to you today about, about a lifestyle of sacrifice, a commitment to sacrifice long term. There's a bigger idea here in, in the idea of Abraham and Isaac. It's the idea of a lifestyle of sacrifice. And really, we celebrate Abraham because he was a man that was committed to sacrificing for the purposes of God right throughout his whole life. Church, our faith life produces a different value system. Come on, who knows that? It produces a different value system, a lifestyle, a series of commitments, a purpose of putting our obedience to God first beyond our own wants and desires. And this challenge in the life of Abraham, of Abraham and Isaac, is one of many challenges. It's one of many tests that Abraham was able to step into. You know, when you think about Abraham and the Apostle Paul and, you know, Joshua or Gideon or Peter or the life of Moses, the, you know, some of the great patriarchs of faith. It wasn't a moment or a specific season that they went through of sacrifice. They lived a life of being obedient to the things of God, a life of continual sacrifice. And we're getting kind of a snapshot here in Genesis 22 of a man who lived sacrificially. You know, some people like to sacrifice and they like everyone else to know about it, or they think, you know, it's there to cause them pain. I love the story about Mary and Martha. You know, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, just a really classic story kind of, of, of what the human nature is actually like. And the Bible says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where there was a woman named Martha. Listen, she opened her home to Jesus, right? She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to God, to Jesus, and she asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's interesting, right? She opens her home up to the Lord and then complains when it requires work. She complains when it requires sacrifice. It's so true. Many times in life we say, God, use me. God, I want to put my life on the altar. I want to be a living sacrifice. And then God says, give that up. I challenge you to do this. Deal with that. Sort that out. Live to a higher moral code. Be obedient in this this way and that way. And then we say, I feel used. I had someone once say that to me many years ago. I want you to use me. I want the church to use me. I want to be used for the things of God. I said, okay, we're going to use you. Six months later, I feel used. I said, yep, that's what happens. You ask God to use your faith, he's going to use you. You ask God to use your finances, he's going to use them. You ask God to use this life of mine that is really here for not my purpose, but yours, God begins to use you. And I don't want to make this account in Abraham and Isaac simple because there's so much 
theological significance here, but just to say this, that Abraham's response to God's big ask, God's this is a significant ask of Abraham, is simple. It's without drama. It's without confusion. I think we can learn a lot from this man about a life of sacrifice. And so I want to give you some ideas here before we take up our missions offering. Genesis 22, verse 1 to 14 says this. Now, sometimes late, sometime later, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And the Lord said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent up for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw that place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Isn't that powerful? On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. I want you to notice here that my first point is this. It's the sacrifice and the fire. The sacrifice and the fire. I want you to notice in verse 6, the Bible says that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. Abraham carried the fire and the, and the life. I love that. Abraham brought a living flame. Isaac carries the wood, but Abraham carries the fire. He cultivated it. He stoked it. He got it ready even before the sacrifice. The reality is in the Old Testament, there was always a fire to complete the sacrifice. You couldn't sacrifice without the fire. And when Abraham is carrying the fire, I'm not too sure how that actually worked, whether it was like an Olympic torch and he was climbing up the mountain with one hand with the fire in his hand. But think about it, all that effort for three days to climb the mountain, to get the wood, to make the decision, it would have been all for nothing without the fire. It was the fire that was needed to complete the task, to complete the sacrifice. Look at Elijah and the prophets of Baal. He sets up the altar to prove that God is the true God. The Bible says that he cried out from heaven. And the Bible says that fire came down from heaven. It was the fire that caught the wood and what was happening at the altar as a living sacrifice. There is no sacrifice 
without fire. In the temple, the fire was continuous. The altars of incense were constantly required a fire. What's the idea today? What does the fire represent? In the Old Testament, the fire church meant many different things. It meant purification. It meant burning up the stuff that is hindering, getting rid of the things that hold you back. Often even in you know, today's language, you would say, oh, we went through the fire. In other words, to get rid of some of the unnecessary stuff, to get rid of some of the stuff that's actually holding us back. The fire often represented the presence of God, holiness. As Moses comes to the burning bush, the Bible says that he saw a bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed. The Bible speaks about Israel going through seasons of fire. Psalm 66 verse 12, it says, You let the people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. It speaks about experiences that we go through that sharpen our aim, that sharpen our resolve, that take us to a higher level, level and a higher purpose. I think the fire here, when it comes to Abraham, speaks about Abraham's resolve, the commitment to carry it through, the vow, I'm sold out to this idea of putting God first in every single area of my life. John, when he speaks of Jesus, he talks about this in Matthew 3, verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. After, after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with, with fire, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So fire here speaks about judgment. It speaks about the internal of actually getting things right. God is going to test Abraham, and this is my point. God is going to test Abraham. Abraham brings his own fire to the testing. He brings his own fire. In other words, he brings his own willingness for God to do something in his life to the test. Abraham is willing. God, will you test me? God, will you deal with me? God, if you say that this is a test that I have to go through, God, I'm bringing my own fire to the test. Will you do a purification work through me? I'm bringing my own hunger. I'm bringing my own passion. I'm bringing my own resolve. I'm bringing what is mine. I'm bringing my own commitment to this party called the test that you have asked me to go into. You know, often when we are tested or we are challenged, Sometimes it's like God is dragging us to the test. Come on, you got to go through this. Come on, I want to challenge you in this area of your life. And there are many Christians that I know that it's almost like God is dragging them along. He's dragging them to this next season in their life. And we go unwillingly. We just get pulled along to some of these experiences that God is taking us through. But I love about Abraham. He says, I'm going to bring my own fire. I'm not going to be pulled into sacrificial living. I'm going to be on the front foot of sacrificial living. I'm going to lead the way. I'm not going to be dragged along. I don't know about you, but I want to be a type of person that's not dragged along to the challenges of life, but I want to be on the front foot of the challenges of life. Come on. When God allows me to go through tests, when he allows me to go through circumstances, I want to bring my own fire. I want to bring my own passion. I want to bring my own willingness. Yes, God, do something supernatural in my life. Come on, don't you want to be that type of person? Not just always dragged along. 
just dragged along circumstances, when stuff happens that we didn't expect, we whinge and complain, life is so hard, why did I get rejected, why did these people say things about me that are unfair, dragged through the test, I'm going to bring my own passion to the test, I'm going to bring my own hunger to the test, thank you God that you've chosen me to go through these circumstances, remember years ago, when I was whinging about my life, who's ever whinged about your life? No one. Okay. You are literally the happy clappy. You know, when I was whinging about my life, oh, God's so hard and people don't understand and people are mongrels and, you know, it's difficult being a pastor and, you know. God gave me a dream. Like uh, that night I was dancing around the throne room of God. Very unusual for me to dance, you know. But I was twirling. I knew it was God because I would never picture myself twirling. But I was twirling. Twirling in the presence of God. But the Lord say, you know what, you're just whinging and complaining, not realizing the breakthrough that I want to do in your life through this test that you are actually going through. If you want to see breakthrough, bring your fire, bring your passion, bring your hunger, bring this thing called your willingness. Don't live your life being dragged along from test to test. Come on, be a person that brings your own hunger to everything that God allows you and I to go through. He brought the fire. He brought the fire. The second thing I want you to notice is that he brought the burden. It's the sacrifice and the burden. It's the sacrifice and the fire. It's the sacrifice and the burden. The second thing about sacrifice is this, is you carry a willingness to sacrifice throughout your entire life. It's a position in life. It's a value system that you adopt as a man and as a woman of God. The Bible says that Abraham carried the fire, but Isaac, carried the wood on his back. On the altar, he was placed on the wood. But in reality, church, he had the wood on his back throughout the entire journey. He carried it not just for the experience or for the altar or for the moment or for that particular event, but Isaac carried the wood throughout the whole journey. We carry a burden. It's not a religious burden. It's a burden of responsibility that God wants to use us to be a lighthouse to the nations of the earth. You see, Jesus said this, he said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The burden that he was talking about was the burden that the Pharisees had put upon the Jews. And it was a religious burden. It was a burden of of unrealistic demands. Wash here, do that, say that mantra, do this type of thing. And so it was so burdensome. And Jesus says, Hey, listen, you don't need to live under a religious burden. I have a different burden for you. It's lighter, but it's a burden of purpose. It's a burden of responsibility. It's a burden of saying, God, you have got a purpose for my life. We carry a burden. It's a responsibility, a backpack, an obligation, ready to step in when the Lord asks. I think it's so important in life. It's not just giving in an offering or doing a certain thing. We carry a responsibility. It's the call to carry. I carried the call of ministry even before I was in it. I carried the call to serve the church even before there was a position to do so. We carry something bigger than our own selfish desires. It's what makes the church so different. We carry a purpose that is higher than just our immediate needs. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1 verse 5. He's talking to the Philippians and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel 
from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There is a good work that God wants to do in you and I. And it's not just a good work to give us the latest TV or the latest house. It's a good work to partner with God in the presentation of the gospel around the globe. It's a good work. It's a good work. The word partnership means a willing contribution, a shared responsibility. Look what the Bible says is what we carry, 1 John 2 verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. You have an anointing on the, of the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Church, we carry something powerful, life-changing. You know, the word carry literally means smearing. In other words, this idea of smearing the anointing oil all over. It permeates through your pores and every part of your life. You can't get it off. It is smeared all over you. It is a part of you. I want to say this to you today. Whether you believe it or not, whether you are confident in it or not, you carry the anointing of God. You carry the anointing. You say, yeah, but I don't feel worthy. It doesn't matter. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you carry something on your life. You say, but you know what? I'm not ready for that. It doesn't matter. You carry the anointing from God. That God has anointed you. In the old days, it was the, in the Old Testament, it was the anointing that the priests carried. But the Bible says that we are all a priesthood. Right? There's a responsibility. There's an anointing that you carry to break chains. There's an authority that you carry to, to arrest the heavenly realms. There's an authority that you carry to change an atmosphere in your workplace. There's an authority that you carry to bring hope and light unto the world. You carry something. You carry the anointing of God. Scholars of church history often ask the question, why did the Christian faith spread so quickly? Why did it explode in this hotbed, in this early, you know, birth of civilization, in this hotbed of ideas and, you know, Greek culture and Roman culture where new things were being discovered and, you know, they would say that there were so many splinter groups. One of the reasons why, you know, the whole Roman Empire was so restless is that there were so many different splinter groups and, you know, Jesus refers to it when he says, you know, don't listen to people when they say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. There were literally hundreds of people saying, I'm the Messiah and, and I'm the Messiah. And then the Roman government would destroy them and they'd wipe them out. And there was all these different groups of ideas. And so scholars would say, well, why did the Christian faith explode when everything else didn't? And we understand the anointing of God was on it. But, you know, what was the background to that particular story? One of the big ones was, was that Christians actually separated ideas from actions, separated philosophies from actually doing good in the community. Let me say this, we live, I reckon we live in the same era as what, when the church exploded 2,000 years ago. There's a lot of talk, there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of philosophies, but not a lot of people are actually doing a lot of good work in the community, come on. You know, the difference between us is that we just don't talk about it, but we are committed to doing it, you know. And one of the big ones was the Christians separated the ideas from actually doing something. The world, you know, the early church had a burning conviction to actually do something, to actually do good in the community. Uh, one of the early church historians, Tertullian, makes this point that the pagans would often say the difference between the Christians and everyone else that was out there is that see how they love one another. Not necessarily in terms of embracing and joy and we love each other, but in terms of what they actually did in the community. They cared for the poor, the widows and the orphans. 
They would often visit prisoners and those condemned to the death mines. They would step up in times of national crisis, famines and earthquakes. You know, I've got to say this. Sometimes I see on the, you know, on the media where you'll have a large organisation raise $5,000 for a good cause. And everyone's like, oh, it's awesome, look at that. Here we are raising $700,000 a year. And just go, there is a difference in parity in terms of what generosity actually means in the church. You understand what I'm saying? You know. Um, in the New Testament, Christian, Christ, Christians recognised the needs and started to do everything in their power to fulfil the needs. One of the big needs back in, in New Testament Christianity was the burial of the dead. The poor could not afford a proper burial. And so the Roman government would, actually dis, the Roman government would often discard the bodies out into some areas that they would say, well, that, that's, that's for the dead. And uh, the Christians said, you know what? Every person needs to have a proper honouring burial. And so the Christian church rose up and said, we can fulfil that need in society. Christians felt to deprive a person of an honourable burial was a terrible thing. One of the scholars made this point, we will not allow the image and the creation of God to be thrown out to the wild beasts and the birds of prey. It must be given back to the earth from which it came. This impact of the Christians making a commitment to bury the poor, right? some of the catatombs that we see now and some of the big burial places that are attached to the churches all came out of that idea that the Christians actually wanted to give the poor a proper burial, right? One of the early church enemies of Christianity was Emperor Julian. He hated the Christian church. He did everything in his power to destroy the church. And yet he wanted to bring Roman back to traditional Roman religion and yet the church was just exploding one of the things that he could not deny was the power that the church had to actually influence the community in a positive way and even though he tried to change the culture with ideas he could not stop the culture of doing good works in the community and in the end he had to throw up his hands in the air and say i surrender there's nothing else that we can do this thing is absolutely exploding beyond the belief of man you see not only did isaac carry the burden but he carried the kindling well, it was wood on the back. It was kindling for the fire. The kindling to get the fire started. Jesus speaks about kindling in the New Testament. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, he talks about what he is about to do. And he says, I've come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. I've come to bring fire to the earth. I wish it were already kindled. What's he saying? He wanted the church back then to have a culture of readiness. I love what he's saying. He's going to bring breakthrough, but he wishes there was a culture of people that are ready, a culture in the temple that was ready, a culture within the Jewish community that was ready. And the reality is they were not ready for what God was going to do. He says, I'm going to bring the fire. I'm going to bring the breakthrough. I'm going to move into a new realm. But I wish the kindling was already burning. God is looking for a generation of people that say, we are kindling. We want to get this thing started. We want to be ready with whatever you have got for our lives. Come on, don't you want to be that person? You say, God, I'm ready. Whenever you call me, I'm ready. Whenever you stir me, I'm ready. Whenever you challenge me to be obedient, I'm ready. And all that, the point is this. Isaac carried the kindling ready to start the fire. We all carry kindling. We all carry what is necessary to start a fire. The life of sacrifice is not there to be religious. Oh, look at me. I'm sacrificing. Right? It's there to start a fire in the nations. It's there to bring change, to allow people to experience the wholeness of Jesus Christ. 
you and I have been called in our lives to be kindling for God to set us on fire so that we can actually change the nations of the earth. We carry the potential to start something. Did Isaac get something out of it? Not really. (laughs) Did Isaac get anything out of this whole endeavor? No. But that wasn't the point, was it? Wasn't the point. I think of mother's heart, Katrina Glidden, and what she does in terms of crisis pregnancy. Mothers were dying because they would abort their babies. Babies, thousands of babies die in that area of the world, right? And she came and she gave them a choice. You don't have to abort. We can help you, help you raise the child, create another option for you. Because of that, mums were saved from death. Because of that, hundreds of babies. Now, you know what I love about our missions program, right? So we support her. We also support a school called Salomon School in Cambodia. It is a Christian school that every year we've helped build them a new level of their school. That school started with a few hundred. It's now just exploded. We keep building a new level. It costs us $30,000 a year US to build another level on that school. And you look at the school now, it you know, rivals some of the great schools here in Australia in terms of the quality of the education to the point now that even in a government that, you know, would not say is a Christian government, that the officials are sending their kids to that particular school. This is the point. <laughs> we save a baby from death who goes to that school all the way up from giving it life, all the way up to actually having a full education because of what we're actually doing in that community in Cambodia. You know. Yes, she started something, but we helped her start something. We were the kindling. We were the, we were the kindling that God used to start a fire in that nation of Cambodia. The third one is this. It's the sacrifice and the provision. So the sacrifice and the fire, the sacrifice and the burden. The third one is it's the sacrifice and the provision. The Bible says that Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught in its own horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. I want to say this. There's a difference between Christian sacrifice and religious sacrifice. And it's simply this, I may sacrifice, but it's always God who provides. God provided outside, listen, God provided outside of Abraham's desire to sacrifice. I began to think about that in so many different areas of our lives. We sacrifice our time for the house of God, but God provides blessing for our family. We sacrifice food and fasting. God provides breakthrough and bringing godly leaders into our nation. We sacrifice our finances, yet God provides for us a stable home where we are looked after. You see, we often think our sacrifice is the provision. There's a practical truth to that, but let me say this. They are different. You sacrifice, but God is the one who provides in your life. Frank and I have always made a commitment. We're going to put the house of God first. We're going to surrender to whatever God wants us to do. I want to say this, you know, in terms of our own personal sacrifice, the stuff that we sow into missions on a regular basis, does that mean that God has provided for me a $5 million house in Noosa? Well, that'd be nice. But God has provided for me a wonderful family, healthy marriage, great kids, stable home, a clear head, a pure heart. You understand that when we sacrifice, God provides in a whole bunch of other areas of our life. You know, we see here the ram is completely outside of Abraham's sacrificial concept. And this is the point of Abraham. This is the point of Abraham. He wasn't known for his sacrifice. Church, he was known for his faith. 
He wasn't known for, oh, we're preaching about it today, but he wasn't known just for that story. He was known for his faith and his faith in God produced a result. His faith in God produced this idea that God looked after him and that God would actually be faithful to his promises. Look what he says to the servant. Stay here with a donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham's faith was greater than Abraham's sacrifice. We sacrifice because of our faith in God. Fourth one is this, it's the sacrifice and the end result. You look at this, Abraham descends from the mountain after all of that, and it's interesting that Abraham descends the mountain with the same of what he had before he went. In other words, he didn't lose out. He didn't come back less than what he had before. We can get so fearful at loss in the faith journey. We get so fearful that we're going to lose something if we surrender our life to God. Abraham didn't lose, he gained. What did he gain? He was enriched in his faith and favour to God. I've always found this passage incredibly interesting. He climbs the mountain, goes for three days. God challenges him. He prepares the donkey, gets some food along the way. Right? There's a whole system in order to get him from his home life up to the mountain. He puts his son on the altar. God says, don't. Sees a ram caught in the thicket, sacrifices the ram, walks back down the mountain. And really, it's like things haven't changed at all. Things are exactly the same physically right? But the reality is God did something supernatural in his life, right? Trying to communicate this well, right? If I'm obedient, if I'm kind, if I sacrifice, if I give my best, I realize that it's actually God who produces the result, not me. Why don't you look at the things that we've sown into the nations of the earth? We are not a wealthy church, but for some reason, we get into buildings, buy property, we have little, very little debt. We've got a small debt on the property in Limbrook, right? And yet we are able to give thousands of dollars to missions overseas, yet we're able to do refurbs, we're able to gain favour in the nations, we're able to see things, just God do amazing things. Is that because of our strategic planning, where there's good governance and being smart and all that? But at the end of the day, we're just doing what God has asked us to do. We're being obedient. We're fasting here. We're praying here. We're making strategic decisions there. But at the end of the day, God is the one who produces a result far more abundantly than what we could ever hope for or imagine. See, the result is not because of a transaction that's taken place. We're just obedient in faith. And there's this idea that Abraham is going through the motions of faith. He goes up, he sacrifices, God speaks to him, he comes back down again. It's like you and I, we pray, we fast, we do this, we're kind, we show acts of kindness, we forgive people, we just sort things out, we keep moving on, we keep praying, we keep having a devotional life, we give here when there's a challenge and all of a sudden God produces this amazing result and we go, how the heck did that actually happen? Why? Because we sacrifice but God actually produces the result in our lives, right? Look what Isaiah says. I love this. Isaiah 26, verse 12, and I'll finish with this, right? Lord, you establish peace for us. Look at this. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. You establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, it's almost like an oxymoron, isn't it? It's almost like a reversal. All that we have done, you really have done for us. Can I challenge you in life? Don't ever fall into the trap that you have produced this. 
God has produced this. So you can make a decision, I'm going to produce out of my own life, and you'll get what you produce. Or you can make a decision, I'm going to become a person of faith, and I'm going to be obedient to the voice of God, and God is going to produce far more out of my life than what I could ever possibly hope for or imagine. How about you, but I want to be a person of faith. That I look back and I say, you know, God, we just were obedient. We never saw the future. We never saw what was around the corner. We were just obedient. And because of that, look what you actually produced. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.